I like to tell people to carry forward from the conversation about this is a child typically discloses to one person. If you're that one person they disclose to, listen. Take what they say seriously. Even if you're doubting it, that's not your job to doubt that child. It's your job to listen, gather that information, provide it to authorities, let them do their job, let them investigate and see if there is a problem there. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Guardians of the Children is a nonprofit organization comprised of motorcycle enthusiasts that use motorcycles as tools to help children who have overcome child abuse become strong, confident, and courageous again. Once a child has made an outcry of abuse and the criteria for support is met, that child is adopted into the family as a little guardian. Every child has all the power and strength within themselves, just like a motorcycle on the open road and the biker behind it. Guardian of the children, encourage them to unleash it as they fight their demons together. Huckleberry is with us from a local chapter. It's Guardians of the Children, and then our chapter that's local here is Cascade. And then we have another chapter out of the Tacoma area that's called Puget Sound Chapter. Welcome to the show, Huckleberry. I can't wait to see what you have to share with us. Yeah, there's there's a lot of trauma in our community with children and a lot of children that are affected very adversely by the horrible things that have happened to them. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about what Guardians of the Children does? Sure. We're a nonprofit organization full of all volunteers. We basically support children and the family. So our mission statement literally to recognize and react to child abuse, to help educate the public to do the same, to serve as an advocate, to provide strength and stability to families in crisis, and to be the answer to the prayers of an adult, a child or teen for courage, support, and protection. So we do everything from go to court with these kids, but part of that process is an empowerment that we do, which is called an adoption. Walk us through it. You bet. I can walk you through the process. So Typically, it's a phone call, and it goes to what's called a child liaison within the organization. And that person takes down all the pertinent information, basically what's going on with it. There's some very simple criteria for us to get involved, and that is consent from legal guardian. And then, obviously, the child wants us involved. And then also that there is something moving forward criminally with it. It doesn't mean that there's a conviction or anything like that, because We do get calls early on when stuff is just getting started. We've actually helped guide some people on the process to do the reporting, literally had to have them call 911 and then help walk them through what to expect in that process. So once we get that phone call and we get that basic information from them, we'll meet as a board, make sure that situation, so there's five members of the board. There's a president, vice president, sergeant at arms, a treasurer, and a secretary. And we make sure that that fits our criteria of what our mission is and what we're doing, and also that we're able to help help that family or child in that situation. So from that point, we pick two people, which are called primaries within our chapter. And those are typically two full patch members. So they have spent a minimum of basically 15 months with the organization. 
a minimum of 12 months after their background check. All of our members are go through a background check process, and we don't ask for perfect people, but we do, what we do ask for is folks that have never been involved in domestic violence, assault, those types of crimes. But I mean, if somebody's got a speeding ticket, we're not going to not let them be able to help families. Once we get those two primaries together, uh, the board picks those people based on location of the child and the fit. Because personality-wise, from that basic information we got, we want to make sure it's someone that the child would potentially get along with because there are potential triggers with children. For instance, if a perpetrator is a great big guy or got a specific thing to it, we want to pick a, a patched member of the chapter as a primary. It's not going to be a trigger or a reminder of that child of the type of person that potentially abused them. So from that point on, we go meet the family. Now, typically, our sergeant at arms and our child liaison go with those two primaries. We try to go with four because our goal and for that initial meetup and that face-to-face is we don't want to seem intimidating to the family or the children that are involved. When we meet them, we sit down. Typically, we meet at their home, but we've met at restaurants. We've met at parks, whatever is comfortable for that family. We go through a brief introduction. We tell them about our adoption process, how that works and see if that's what the family wants to do. During that process, while we're having that conversation, is that child a lot of times will be very shy at first, and then after a little while, we'll realize, hey, these are good people and they're out here to help us. And we've literally had our members sit down with a child and play with Play-Doh or do coloring or go show them their favorite toy in their room. And so that gives the primaries a chance to have a conversation with the child and get to know them and make sure that they feel as well as we're in the most comfortable situation for that child with their parents in their home or in a situation where they're comfortable. After that initial meetup and those people typically fit with the child pretty well, we do what I've mentioned a couple of times earlier, and that's an adoption. The adoption process for us is what we do is we get all our people together. We actually invite our other chapters, if we have chapters that are local, try and get as many of the motorcycles together and members together as we can. It's one of our required events within the chapter to do an adoption. So when we go over to the location, sometimes it's a park, sometimes it's the family's residence. Again, whatever makes that family most comfortable, those primaries will go about five, 10 minutes ahead of the group. They'll talk to that kid again, make sure that the child and the family is comfortable with what's going to happen next. So when everybody comes up on the motorcycles, you all come rumbling in, you get that uh, biker persona for those kids to see all those loud motorcycles, all these bikers, all these people together. And then what we do is everybody gets off their bikes and we come over to where the family is. And at that point, those two primaries that were part of that initial conversation with the family, they actually uh, brought up with the family that we'd like the child to pick a biker name. And it's something that would give the child power. So it, maybe, it's, maybe it's a nickname that they had. Maybe it's a nickname of something that makes them feel strong. Because part of this biker persona, right, is we want to envelop that kid and that biker family and that love, support, and protection that comes from an organization. From that point, we actually have motorcycle vests for the kids that we get made with their road name on it. They have their own back patch, and it literally says they're a little guardian. We present that to them in front of everybody. Everybody typically claps, gives the child a good nod and a smile. And then at that point, 
the members will take the time to individually come up and introduce themselves. So part of that empowerment process is that while they're coming up to the child and introducing themselves, they're trying to get down to that child's level. They're going to take their sunglasses off. By no means does anyone want to intimidate the child. When they introduce themselves to the child, they tell them who their road name is. They typically have something that is going to be a reminder. Now, this may be a token like, for instance, a lapel pin or something that's very special, got a symbol of maybe that particular person. We've had writers make their own bracelets for the kids. I personally use a dog tag, and then on one side of the dog tag is Guardians of the Children with my road name on it. And then on the back side is my phone number. And I let that child know at any point in time that if they are scared or just want to talk or something, that they can call 24-7, 365. We try and make ourselves available for these kids. So while that introduction process is going on, there's also a teddy bear. Now, this teddy bear that we showed them in the beginning, right before the introduction started, will get passed from member to member in a hug. And one of the things we tell the kids is that this teddy bear is going to be full of hugs and positive messages for you. And what that does is that gives that child something tangible to hang on to that's a reminder of everybody in the group. And while they have that teddy bear, while that teddy bear is going from one member to the other, we also tell the child that if you ever feel like this teddy bear runs out of hugs or positive messages, you let your primaries know and they come back, pick up that teddy bear, and then they bring it back to a chapter meeting or our next event we fill that thing back up with hugs and positive messages, and we bring that back to the child. In the introduction process, this is part of the empowerment, right? We're giving choice back to the children. So when we offer them the pin or the bracelet or something someone has made, we don't just automatically hand it to them. We ask the child if they want it. If there's a variety of pins, we ask the child which one they would like. We also ask them, do you want us to put it on your cut, which is the vest that they're wearing, do you want to put it in your pocket? We've had kids literally have a bag too, and it gets dropped in a bag. But we're giving these children their choice back. So there's adults helping a child get their choice back that has been taken from them and their situation that they've been through. Jumping back to after everybody's done the introductions, we will let the kid pick their favorite motorcycle. We'll bring it over. We'll set it up for a picture. We typically take a picture with the kid on the motorcycle. We bring that back to our next chapter meeting. We have it blown up into an eight by 10 with a frame. All the members that were there will sign that picture. The primaries will bring that back to the child. From that point, the kid can do whatever they want with that picture. They can put it up on their wall. They can put it in the hallway at their house. They can put it in a drawer in their room. It's totally up to them. It's their choice what they do with it. But the goal of the picture is a reminder to the kids that there's all these people out there that care about them and want them to be safe and will be a barrier to the perpetrator that abused them. So after that process, Things are very different from one family to the next. There may be upcoming court cases. Court may already be over. We may not even be involved in court. There may still be investigation going on. So there may be an interview process. If the kids want us to go with to any of those things, we go to it. We've gone to kids' sporting events. We've gone to little girls' ballets, which is always pretty entertaining when you see a bunch of bikers show up at a little kid's ballet. We do whatever we can to support those children. We do some big events as a group together 
We typically do an Easter, a Christmas. This year, we're actually going to do a Thanksgiving dinner where we're going to invite all the families to that. So again, when it comes to the families, each situation is different, be it court or support that they need. We've literally had kids call us at 1030 at night because they can't sleep and a couple of members hop on their scoots or their motorcycles right over to their house, usually have a good conversation with the child, comfort them, kids go back to bed, and things usually work out really well. So that, in a nutshell, is an abbreviated version of what we do. So I have a couple of questions. Is there a specific type of motorcycle? No, because Guardians of the Children is very much about empowering children, helping children. We're using that biker persona, but we really don't care what you ride. Um, you can ride a Kawasaki or a Yamaha or a Honda or a Harley Davidson or whatever kind of motorcycle that's out there. We do kind of want people, if they're going to be on a motorcycle, something that's going to keep up at a highway speed. So they have to be of a, of a decent size, but still a lot of the smaller bikes will keep up at that speed. And also people that want to be involved and help the children, they're still what we call a support member within the organization. That's someone that basically says that they don't want to make the commitment to be a primary for a child, that they don't feel they can meet a minimum requirement of 70% in order to become a full patched member, but they still want to do stuff to help the kids. So we have support members within the chapter that still do the background check, still do all that stuff, still go to the adoptions, but maybe they don't have a motorcycle. Maybe they can't make that 70% commitment, but they're going to give as much as they can when they can. We have members that, for instance, have a gift with crafts and being able to do stuff with kids. So all those kinds of things we want people to have the opportunity to help children because that's what we're all about. It sounds like it's twofold. It sounds like the volunteer needs to go through kind of a, a real training and be really committed. And then on the on the child side, you're working to empower them with all of the different interactions. Yes. So typically what we ask people to do is come to three of our chapter meetings, come see what we're about, listen to some of the events, some of the things we have going on that's for the public. If they feel that they want to be involved, then we ask them to uh, do a background check. It's a $35 check. The background check is sent off to our national. Uh, what happens there is they do the background check, and then as the president, they send me an email saying yes or no. From that point on, people get to be involved once the background check. We actually have a private group that we share all the information about the children, upcoming events with the kids, those kinds of things that are going on. If people don't feel that they can make the 70% requirement, but still want to do stuff to help the kids, or they don't have a motorcycle, the wording is also access to a motorcycle because in the organization, we have a lot of husband and wives and some of the ladies don't want to ride, but they ride with their husband on the bike. Well, that's good enough as far as we're concerned. When you talk about adoption, do the kids age out? So Guardians of the Children is a pretty awesome organization in that aspect. So what we do is we stay involved with the children as long as the legal guardian and the child want us involved. Once the child turns 18, they have an option to age out and move on with their life, as well as become a full patch member within the organization if that's their goal. And the idea behind Guardians of the Children and our founders had with that was, who better to advocate for child abuse and for children than someone who's been through that themselves? 
So we try and keep those people engaged, right? Everybody who knows someone who's been through abuse in their life, it sticks with them their whole life. But they can also use it as a tool, as something to make themselves stronger and better. And what they've learned on how to deal with that, if they can share that gift of how they were able to deal with their situation with another child, that is pretty powerful. I love that. We're talking with Huckleberry with Guardian of the Children. Do you have some stories you can share? We adopted a baby one time, three months old, probably one of the harder hitting stories that we have been through in our chapter. That little baby was shaken by the boyfriend to the point where when we got got the phone call, the child was in Seattle Children's Hospital. The forecast was for the child to be blind and deaf the rest of her life that they did not know how severe the brain damage was, but the child was shaken so bad. But now the beauty of that story is, is that little girl, number one, he's incarcerated. He's in jail where he belongs. But that little girl is doing well. She does no longer have hearing aids. Her vision is consistently improving. And she has started preschool. So that's that's one amazing story we have. A mom who got a hold of us with a situation that happened with her daughter. Her daughter was sleeping in her bed at seven years old after the situation, would not sleep in her own bed. We did the adoption. Mom sent us a picture that night of the kid sleeping with her teddy bear, with her cut on, in her own bed. And it had been almost 14 months since that child had slept in their own bed. And just by going through that adoption process and knowing that there's all these people out there that care about them, this young lady felt secure enough finally to be in her own bed. We've had stories with kids that'll wake up in the middle of the night scared and they'll go hide in their closet. And then uh, we've had kids after an adoption had the parents get a hold of us and say, you know, they woke up scared. But then uh, when we went back in, because they they were crying, we went back in the room and they had stopped crying already before we had even made it in there. And they were like, I'm okay. I just had a bad dream about what happened. And they're still in their own bed. They're not trying to hide. And they says, because my friends are scarier than that bad guy. What brought you to this work? (laughs) So the challenge is I try not to make any of this personal about individuals. It's so much about the organization and what they do. Abbreviated version for me is I did search and rescue for 12 years in Snohomish and King County. And then I took, I went through a divorce and I tried to figure out some other way to give back to the community. Funny enough, I watched a movie called Bad Grandpa and there was a a biker organization in that movie protecting a kid at a I guess it was a restaurant or a bar or a facility that stood up for a kid. And I'm like, that's amazing. And so that's how the research started. And then I reached out to the organization. We got some people together. It took 10 of us to get a chapter started and to do a bunch of homework, as well as to reach out to the predominant motorcycle club in the community and make sure that we had their blessing to do that. And of course, we had their support and we started the organization. And then it was a matter of making connections in the community and making people aware of how common child abuse is. The child trafficking in Western Washington is some very, very scary stuff. There's a lot going on out there that I think people, 
I don't think they turn a blind eye to it. I just don't think they realize how dangerous it is. Some of the statistics that are covered alone by Snohomish County Sheriff's Office locally here is one in 10 children between the age of zero and 18 years of age will have experienced abuse via physical or sexual in their lifetime or by the time they're 18. The real statistic I was told locally is closer to one in six for boys and one in five for girls in that time frame. And I think that's the other thing that's overlooked in our community is boys get abused almost as much as the girls do. We're talking with Huckleberry from Guardians of the Children. What is your website? How can people find you? Well, I would direct everybody to the Guardians of the Children national website. It's it's guardiansofthechildren.org. It's an organization. And if you wish to reach out to members in different states or different chapters, there's a link on there where you can go through and find email addresses for varying members in different areas. If someone listening knows of somebody going through this, what's their next step? Absolutely. Let let the family know. Now, because we we have had referrals from people that are not family members, but ultimately we need consent from legal guardian. We need the parent, the grandparent, whoever the legal guardian is, be it a foster parent, whatever that situation, aunt, uncle, we need their consent to be involved because we do go to court. We do try to advocate for the child. So those things, we those are certain I's we have to dot and T's we have to cross. They can contact myself directly. They can contact our child liaison. That's the main goal for that person is they've basically said that they'll make that commitment to take that phone call to help coordinate within the organization our primaries and contacts and make sure that our families are being looked after. We recently had a great thing happen. We had a family struggling to get some stuff together for kids starting school to say thank you to the Snohomish County Sheriff and his, I guess you'd call it his command staff. They pulled some money together and took these kids shopping. They didn't ask for any recognition or anything like that. So that was it was pretty awesome what they did for them. Well, we're out of time, but I had one more question. I really like what you said about child abuse is so much more prevalent than people realize. And I like you offered grace. You said not that people turn a blind eye. They just don't know what to do. What would you recommend if people are starting to be aware of this? Do they call authorities? What do you recommend people do if they're suspecting child abuse? So one of the models within our organization is see something, say something. It's not our job to decipher whether it's truth or not truth. Law enforcement has detectives and people that are involved. Social services has people and detectives and those type of folks that are involved. If you see something, say something about it. If you're not comfortable confronting that person, fine. That's what 911's for. That's understandable. But say something. And also, I think the biggest note I like to tell people to carry forward from a conversation about this is a child typically discloses to one person. If you're that one person they disclose to, listen. Take what they say seriously. Even if you're doubting it, that's not your job to doubt that child 
It's your job to listen, gather that information, provide it to authorities, let them do their job, let them investigate and see if there is a problem there. Because those kids that tell you one time, if they don't feel they were listened to, a lot of kids will never tell their story again. And that's the last thing we want. We want to help these kids. They say something, listen, and do something about it. Say something. What about those kids that will tell you and then they say, but don't tell anyone. And you know that you have to, you know, people will say, well, she told me not to tell. Absolutely. You know? And what I would say is be there empowerment wise. If if you're tied to that child, if it's a family member, if you're comfortable, by all means, when you help report that, try and be there with that child, if at all possible, so that they're, so that you can, you don't guide the conversation, but let the child know it's okay for them to tell some authority figure law enforcement, whatever, a social worker, someone from the school, whatever, let them go, help them go through the process. But if they told you, yeah, if you're able to hold their hand and go to that authority figure with them and be like, you need to tell your story. You need to be able to tell them what happened to you. That's super important. That child trusted you enough to tell you, do your best to protect them. Because if you don't, who will? Yeah. Uh, there's a there's another organization out there that has a motto. It's called the Travis Mannion Foundation. Their motto is, if not me, then who? And it's a very fitting for that type of situation is, if you don't do it, who will? Take the time, do it. Do what's right. We all know what it is. I work with adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And the statistic is it usually takes them 26 years before they say anything. But when I do the interviews with these people, they usually tried to tell someone when they were young and they didn't, nobody well, listened. Yeah. And so then they made a vow and, that they would never tell. Yeah. Yep. And that's, and that's super huge. If a child is telling you a story about something like this, please listen, please report it. See something, say something. If, if the child tells you, repeat that to the proper authorities. There are a lot of people out there that are mandated reporters, but sometimes kids don't always tell a mandated reporter. If any organization would like me to come do a presentation to them about who we are, what we do, and how we do it, would be totally glad to do that. And they just go to guardiansofthechildren.org. We are the Cascade chapter here, and we're I-90 North in Western Washington mm. uh, is the area we cover. And then Puget Sound chapter down south in Tacoma, they are from I-90 South. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference. 